Victory Podcast. Welcome back to the second of Victory Podcast. My name is Austin Nelson, and uh, we are brought to you tonight by the Broadway Sports Media and powered by 440 Sports Network. Uh, make sure you check out broadwaysportsmedia.com for all your latest Titans news, as well as Nashville SC and the Nashville Predators, who are just rolling right now. Um, I know that Chris and Brett are all about that. What's up, guys? What's How's up? Going? I'm glad to see the Preds. Yeah, look, you said I thought they were going to be sellers at the deadline. Turned out they uh, didn't need to be sellers at the deadline, so it's nice yeah. to see. Dude, I mean, this kind of – it kind of feels like 17 it's weird. again, doesn't it? it? Bro, 12 of the last 15, you're in the last playoff spot right now, and the you're up rolling. against the Lightning 4-1 after two. I mean, bro, it's looking good. The UC is on another level right now. Oh. Looks amazing. And it's time, too. It's time. Because people were wondering for a while if it, if UC is going to be next, if they are going to move on. But Hey, 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 listen. Forget all the, the Preds talk right now, man. It's draft time. It is draft time. And with that being said, I want to introduce our guest tonight, uh, Mr. Justin Mello. Justin covers the NFL draft for the uh, one and only the draft network. I know you guys are familiar with that. Uh, he covers the Titans for Broadway sports and also the co-host with our buddy, Justin Graver of the music city audible. So with that being said, welcome in Justin Mello. How's it going guys, man. I'm, I'm glad to be here tonight and, and, and talk some Titans, but I'm versatile, man. We're going to get into some predators, some Nashville, whatever it is, man, I'm ready to roll. Let's get weird. So yeah, you. I mean, you, you being the Canada guy, obviously, you said soccer was your, you know, your second love. But I mean, how much do you do watch hockey? I watch a ton of hockey. Look, I'm do a big you? sports guy. I'm a big yeah. sports guy in general. I grew up in a household. I'm the youngest, older brothers, father. Everybody was a big sports fan in my household. Yeah. It was like my poor mom was like isolated. Right, she didn't know what to do with sports on TV every single night. So I mean, <sighs> hockey. Basketball, football, soccer, basketball, everything. Baseball, I, I watch it all, man. And are you – so are you a – are you a Maple Leafs fan? I'm a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, yeah. yeah I figured that was the easy, easy answer. Does that make you a Blue Jays fan then too? I am, yes. I'm a Blue Jays yeah. fan. I'm a Raptors fan as well. So all, all the home teams. I, it was funny. Like if you were to ask me my three favorite teams in all the sports, I don't – and I, I hate to admit this, but – None of them are probably from Toronto, and that's just because of the sports, right? right. Like, I'm, I'm obviously I'm a Titans fan, and soccer being my second favorite sport. I am Canadian. People get confused, but I'm of, I'm of Portuguese descent. My background is Portuguese. So, of course, the Portuguese national team in soccer when it comes to the World Cup, the Euro Cup, things of that nature. Very and then cool. my favorite club team um, is FC Porto, which is like the best club team in Portugal. At least I, I'm going to claim they are. So, <laughs> so those are probably my three favorite sports teams that I root for. But don't get me wrong. I love – I'm diehard Lee fan, diehard Blue Jays fan, diehard Raptors fan. Mm-hmm. Sports 24-7 for me. So, Justin, what made you be a Titans fan then? Yeah, I get this question a lot. And I, I, you know, I, I I probably should have taken it as a sign at the time that I was only in for, for more misery, but the Super Bowl was the first game I ever watched, you know, against the Rams. I was like nine, wow. 10 years old and I was a kid. So I'm not going to pretend that I was super, you know, I had this super legit reason. I kind of turned it on, you know, before the game started, I tuned in as my first football experience. I really liked the logo. I really liked the jerseys before the game. I said, I hope Tennessee wins this game. And then I remember obviously, you know, obviously we know how that went, but I ended up getting Madden, you know, a couple months later, then, you know, you know, it was so easy to fall in love with that team, too. You know, Eddie George, Steve McNair. Yeah. So uh, that's how it happened for me. And I, I never looked back. Head that's coach awesome, Eddie man. George, that is. 
head coach, Tennessee State, man. So yeah. Good luck to congratulations. I, I met Eddie. That's another great story. I met Eddie George a few years ago here in Toronto, like like two or three years ago, and now that, that was a fun little story. But Tennessee State, man, best of luck to him. It's gonna be so. Like, I mean, Tennessee State here, Melo. I don't know if you know how much about Tennessee State, but they're irrelevant. I mean, it's an FCS school. They're in the, o- o- they're in the OVC. Like, nobody really right. pays attention to Tennessee State. But being a local local guys that we are, I mean, it's something. It's something that you obviously root for. Now it's Eddie George coaching the team. You're gonna you know pull hard for him and, and, and hope nothing but the best. But the staff he put together, that's mm-hmm. impressive. That's inter- it's interesting. Yeah, I yeah. feel like it could go one or two ways. You know, it's either gonna be great or it's gonna be not so. When you start getting some of those personalities in there, if, if all the rumors are true, I don't know right. if they've been confirmed. But you got Ray Lewis, you got Hugh Jacks. It's an interesting room. You got Jeff Fisher's son, I mm-hmm. think, as well to be the D coordinator. So, but you know, like you said, and, and you know. I imagine the state's going to be talking about them a lot more lately, yeah, you know, a lot yeah. more now than they ever did before. And that's a good thing, right? I think I've seen more hype on my timeline about Tennessee state today than I ever have. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Outside of maybe their uh, homecoming parties that they're known. Oh, for. Okay. <laughs> oh, that Those go pretty like- wild. Yeah. The be- <laughs> I think so every year at the Titans games, they'll have one half, you know, they, every year they'll do a halftime show. Um, it's, it's somebody different game oh. after game. But when the TSU band, the aristocrats show up. Dude, they, it they, is they, the best halftime show. They, they put on a party, man. It's so, it's so cool. They'll do like different themes. One year it's Michael Jackson. The next year it's Prince. The next year it's, Damn. you know, so on and so forth. It's very cool. They put, it's one of the so better good. bands in the so entire good. country. So um, yeah, very excited for Eddie and the TSU program. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Well, man, listen, let's let's dive into this draft time uh, and talk about that. Melo, I know you're super busy right now um, with, you know, this is your your prime time. And, and, and so what all do you have going on at the moment, man? What's what's kind of keeping you busy? Yeah, so what's been keeping me busy over the last couple months is the the draft interview series that I do, that I'm doing for the Draft Network, where basically I'm just trying to interview as many players that I can that are going to get drafted. Some of them are going to get drafted very high, and you know, some of them will be day three guys. Some will probably be priority free agents, but I try not to discriminate on that front. Uh, happy to interview the first rounders, happy to interview the sixth rounders. So that's been keeping me really busy. And for example, today is April, we're, we're recording this on April 13th. Yep. The draft is April 29th. Between now and then, so that's about 16 days, I've got about 50 more interviews to drop wow. players in this wow. class. So I just had a meeting with the Draft Network the other day. We're amping up. I'm, I'm dropping two, three interviews a day, every single day. Between now and the draft, I got 50 more that I got to get out. I, I haven't even been keeping count. I've probably already published another 50 to 75 just since February or mid-February to now. So getting to talk to this class, sitting down with them virtually, of course, uh, but picking their brains. Um, you know, asking about where they come from, getting, giving them a platform to tell me their story, tell me their journeys. And I've had a lot of fun doing it, man. I'm not, I, you know, I'm probably going to sound like a salesman, but I feel like I've had my best year yet when it awesome. comes to this series. I feel like I've told the best stories. The class has been very talkative, even if, the, and I've been telling everybody this, but even if this show right now was off the record and you asked me like, who are two or three prospects that you, that you spoke to that you just absolutely hated? I would have a difficult time coming up with any names. And, and that's just me being honest because everybody's been, been so happy and willing to sit down and, and talk ball with me. So I've had a blast doing it. Yeah, that's awesome. Justin, uh, you know, I've, I've been following you on Twitter for a couple of years and uh, you and I actually tweeted back and forth last year after your interview with Javante Moffitt. Uh, I'm an okay. MTSU grad. Uh, and I know we talked about that one a little bit. So that was really cool to, to kind of get, you know, that interview perspective from a guy that, you know, you don't really get to hear 
from uh, on a stage like that very often. Um, with that in mind, who's been your favorite interview so far this year? I mean, I get that question all the time, and I'm honest. I'm honest when I tell you it's impossible for me to answer. I can probably give you five or six that I would say uh, kind of vie for that top spot. And, and I said this actually on a podcast earlier tonight, right before I came on this one. Uh, Sam Cosme from the University of Texas was a really good one because his story is one that's very interesting. You know, he's the son of, uh, and, and I didn't know this till I interviewed him. He's the son of two parents that fled a communist state in search of peace. So this is what I talk about. This is what I mean when I'm talking about guys that have their stories and me giving them a platform to tell their journeys. You know, this is a guy who's, and, and you know, I'm the son of immigrant parents myself. So I can kind of understand what that struggle is like and what that journey is coming from a country where maybe you don't speak the language and you have to come here and, and just work. You know, you come here, they came here with nothing but the shirt on their backs, Sam Cosme's parents, and they put in a lot of work, you know, just hoping for a better opportunity for their children. So this is the kind of prospect. These are the things that we don't all see on the surface right it's easy to put on tape and evaluate a guy but how are these guys doing in the interview room right when they're interviewing with head coaches gms and scouts what does their personality come across like so a guy like sam cosme who understands the value of hard work a year ago during the quarantine when quarantine first hit he had a little bit more extra time on his hands um he ended up driving for doordash and instacart he got so sick and tired of sitting around. He goes, you know what? I'm going to borrow my sister's car, pay for the gas, just do something. Of course, he was keeping up with his football, his training, but this is how hard of a worker this guy is. Now, you imagine what he's like in an NFL meeting room, right? When head coaches and GMs are picking their brain, he's blowing them away. Another guy that I really liked was Greg Newsom, a corner from Northwestern. I liked him because I feel like sometimes corners got to have, you know, it's almost like they're the wide receiver of the, of the defense, right? They got to cover those guys. They got to have that personality. They got to have that confidence mm -hmm. that we love to see in receivers. Greg Newsom's the most confident guy I think I've spoken to throughout this entire process. He's sitting down with me and he's saying things like, um, you know, I love being physical in coverage because offensive players hate being touched. You might interview one next and they're going to tell you that they like that they like contact. They're lying. I never met a wide receiver that likes contact. They right. hate being touched. So I love getting physical with them and touching them. And he's so confident in his ability. I spoke, I talked a lot about X's and O's with him and I had so much fun doing it. One last name I'll throw out here is uh, Zaven Collins, a linebacker from the University of Tulsa. John Robinson, as you know, uh, was at his pro day and, and got involved, right? Threw on some of the pads, threw on some of the gear and started training with him yeah. during, during the drills. And that was a lot of fun to see. You know, J-Rob has a background in coaching linebackers. But Zaven Collins, I, I have to admit, was probably, if I did have to pick one, probably my favorite throughout this process. Because me, you know, in, in the mind of being in the mind of a writer, I just, I saw the interview come together before I even got him on the phone because I looked at his journey. This guy was born in Hominy, Oklahoma. Now, I know I'm Canadian, but have you ever heard of it? Absolutely nope. not. Absolutely Never. not, right? Absolutely population 2,500. And listen, when I get him wow. on the phone, I ask him about the population and he's like, well, it's really half of that because we have a maximum security prison here and they count the inmates oh, as wow. part of the population. So he's from Hominy, Oklahoma. Never heard of it. I talked to him about his journey. Again, single parent. The guy was under-recruited coming out of high. Tulsa was his only D1 offer. Tulsa hasn't had a first round pick. I don't know. It's been 40, 50 years, or maybe it's never. I can't remember now, but it's either been a really long time or never. So the guy comes out of high school. He's Tulsa's the only D1 offer. He goes there. He's not on anybody's radar. So a guy like that who has worked his butt off and worked his way into the first round conversation, man, can, can we cuss on here slightly? 
Absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. You bet your I'm ass sure. that I'm going to enjoy that interview. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going to enjoy picking his brain. I had so much fun. With, I spoke to him for over an hour. You know, I got him on the phone, and I, I and I have to admit, I got to thank his repre- his representation for this because he was ready, he was willing. He said, "Look, I've heard about your interview series. I'm excited to do it." You got my full undivided attention. You let me know. This is one of the first times this ever happened to me because you let me know if you want to circle back tomorrow. If you're editing this and there's some things that you don't understand, you want to pick my brain on again. We ended up hopping on the phone again the next night for like another hour as he was clarifying things for me, things I wanted to make sure that I understood as I put that story together. You can, If you've been following my series, you'll know that I'm biased for that one because yeah. the interview series, every single one has been published as the Draft Networking series. I said, I got to give this one a different title. So we, me and the Draft Network, we titled that one, How a Chameleon Was Born in a Town of 2,500 People. And I meant that in two ways because A, the guy plays every position on the field on defense. He did a little bit of everything for Tulsa and B, you don't, you know, chameleon, you know, that's a rare beast coming out of, you know, coming out of Hominy, Oklahoma and going to Tulsa. So those three are the ones that stick out to me. I just want to clarify to the listeners. I did not pay him to give a Texas Longhorns player <laughs> and David Collins. Uh, I, I, I didn't know. So, you know, yeah, I didn't so, you know, know that you're I'm a Texas guy or I'm, a, I'm a Longhorns fan and a Zayvon Collins stan. So you, that answer was perfect. I'm very happy. With I'll it. shoot you my PayPal after the show. It's all <laughs> exactly. Uh, Justin, kind of switching over to the Titans. There's been a lot of speculation about what the Titans might do in the first round. And some people said they might move out of the first round. Some people said that they might want to move up in the first round. Hypothetically speaking, if the Titans stay where they're at and, and keep that 22nd pick, who do you think offensively, defensively, who do you think is just the best player on the board at that position? See, I, I wish I had a more clear-cut answer for you, but it's one of the reasons that I'm so excited about this upcoming draft because I think the Titans can take this pick in so many different directions. You know, I, I don't remember feeling that way last year. I remember last year, first of all, on draft day, I mocked Isaiah Wilson to them. I, I did a mock just on Twitter, published for all my followers. I had Isaiah Wilson at 29. Oops. So, so it's your fault. <laughs> it, it, you know, maybe <laughs> J-Rob read it, maybe. But, you know, if he read the scouting report, he would have known I had an early third-round grade on him. So I can't take full blame right, okay, for it because right, I cool. had him at, I think, 66th overall on my big board last year. But I mocked Isaiah Wilson at 29. I thought it was either going to be a tackle or a corner. And funny enough, of course, they went corner in the second round, as we all know. So I didn't think there was a lot of directions they could take that pick in last year. Now, this may not be a great sign, but I feel like there's a number of directions they can take that pick in this year. I think it could be a tackle again for obvious reasons. I think it could be a receiver. I think it could be a corner. I wouldn't rule out edge. I think those are the four positions. And and I talked about this on my latest uh, uh, podcast with with Graver, as you mentioned. But I think it's going to have to be one of those four positions. If I had to throw a fifth in there as a dark horse, uh, I know they need a tight end, but they're not going to get a tight end at 22, right? It won't make any sense with the way the board is going to fall. I think it would be a guy like Zayvon Collins. And and, and I would throw a linebacker in there as the fifth uh, most likely position. I, I don't really think it's going to happen, but in terms of guys that could be on the board, I think, uh, you know, no one wants to talk tackles, but I think Te- Tevin Jenkins makes a lot of sense for them at 22. I was yeah. able to confirm the other day that they've met with him a ton of times virtually. That definitely seems to signal some sort of interest in him. I think a receiver like Rashad Bateman would also make a lot of sense uh, if he's there on the board at that. Terrace Marshall, I'm kind of torn on there. I know I see him in a lot of first mm-hmm. round mocks. I personally have more of an early second round grade on him. So maybe if they can move back that he makes a, a bit of sense. 
defense. Uh, if we're staying with the tackles, Sam Cosney. I know I talked about him earlier. I don't think he'll be there at 22. I think he's going to go earlier than a lot of people expect, but I think he can make a little sense. And at corner, it's a tough one because I don't know that there's going to be a corner there that makes a lot. You know, J.C. Horn's going to be off the board. Patrick Sertain is going to be off the board. How do they feel about Caleb Farley's medical at that point? Yeah. Where are they at with the back procedure? Because that's a guy, of course, is the top 22 talent if you're confident in the health. I love Greg Newsom. Is he a guy that makes sense at 22? I think you'd get a healthy debate on that depending on who you ask. So they can take this pick in so many directions. I would agree. And I think that's kind of the fun part about where the Titans are at this year. Picking at 22, can, 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 you know, depending on how the board falls, do you trade back um, to gain more picks? Um, depending on how the, how the board falls, do you trade up? And that's kind of where I want to take this to, Justin. This is a big hypothetical, a huge hypothetical. This is kind of the fan of me coming out of here. But let's say, for example, Jalen Waddell or Devontae Smith are on the board at 14, 15, 13, somewhere in that range, okay? If you're John Robinson, you you trade up to get, try to get one of those guys. I think you'd have to think long and hard about it. Right. I, I, right. Yeah. Cause I, I'm anti trade up to a sense because I think again, they've got four picks in the top 100. And yeah. unfortunately I think they're in a bit of a situation where those four picks are going to be very valuable to them. Right. Cause I think there's five picks positions that we'd probably all agree on that need upgrades those five being receiver corner tackle think they could use some edge depth and I think you could look at tight end as well so I think those five positions probably need players um, in this draft so trading up you, you'd forfeit some of that capital that you have but if it's a guy like Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith that's where the conversation changes for me I think you'd have to think long and hard about that you'd at least have to make that phone call and, and, and see what it would take. Because I, I think Waddle's going earlier than people realize. I think Waddle's going to go super early. So I don't know that it'll be him, but it, it could be a guy like Devontae Smith. Yeah, it was. it's a hypothetical. I've been doing these mock drafts on the Draft Network, and that was one thing that's been happening. Somebody like that falls, you're like, what if? You know, it, it, the draft is full of mysteries. You never know what's going to happen. Guys like that fall all the time. So um, it was just something fun to, to ask. But um, – Make sure you are following Justin Mello on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Second in Victory. Justin, I saw a really interesting tweet from you the other day uh, about tight end position and how you feel like uh, John Robinson may target a tight end that we're not really talking about in Hunter Long. Can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, you know, the, the point of that tweet is I, I know everybody's excited about Tommy Tremble and Brevin Jordan. And don't get me wrong, I'm excited about both those guys as well. But I don't think that we're talking about Hunter Long uh, enough. And I think he belongs in that conversation. I think he gets drafted in the same range as Tommy Tremble. Now, if I had to make a bold prediction on here, and you can pull it up later, tell me I'm stupid, tell me I'm smart, depending on what happens. I think Hunter Long gets drafted before Brevin Jordan. I think that's going to happen on draft week. And I don't think a lot of people are, 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 are really predicting that at this point in time. But I think Hunter Long gets drafted first. I hate to be, be you know, connect dots because sometimes it sounds lazy, but there's no doubt about it that you know, Mike Vrabel's son plays on Boston College. Strength, uh, strength and conditioning coach Frank Periano uh, came to the Titans by way of Boston College. They're going to know him well. They've brought in a couple guys. I can't remember the name now, but they brought in a corner um, about a year or two ago that was a UDFA. They brought him out of Boston College. And I know for a fact Mike Vrabel 
uh, wanted to work him out while he was on campus visiting his son. So they know the Boston College program. So it was Hamp Cheevers. It just came to me right this day. It was Hamp Cheevers. They brought in, I think, as a UDFA originally, uh, was a Boston College guy. So they're going to know this guy really well. Yeah. I mean, why are we talking more about Hunter Long? He's about 6'5", 255 pounds. When I watch him on tape, the first thing that, strike, that, that, that stands out to me is his massive catch radius and his hands. He's got great hands. He's a good route runner. He does a lot of damage up the middle. Uh, he understands how to run routes. He's going to be a nightmare in the red zone. I mean, he's a difficult cover in the red zone. I don't think Boston College did the, you know, the greatest job taking advantage of his skill set in the passing game. So I think he's going to take a big step forward there at the next level. When I look at a guy like him versus Brevin Jordan, he's got the size advantage on him. He's a bit more of a mature prospect. And when I say that, Brevin Jordan is a young, a really young prospect in this class. Don't get me wrong. I interviewed him. I love him. I didn't find him to be immature, but he is a younger guy. And you can tell he's still kind of developing certain areas, not only of his game, but you know, probably a little bit of his personality as well. Whereas Hunter Long, I get the impressions a little more advanced and he's a good run blocker. That's the thing about Hunter Long is, is not only does he in the passing game, Brevin Jordan's still got a steep learning curve in that area. Hunter Long's already a pretty good blocker. So I don't think the Titans fan base is talking about him enough. We've heard a ton about Brevin Jordan. We've heard a ton about Tommy Tremble. But I think Hunter Long is a guy. It would really not surprise me if they target Hunter Long and say with one of those third-round picks. Is there an NFL comp you have for, for Hunter Long? No, I'm going to be totally blunt with you, and I hate to – I don't mean to shut it down, but I, every time I get asked for that, I'm going to put my hands up. I suck at making comps. I don't enjoy <laughs> – I, I don't enjoy making them, and I kind of think they're stupid, to be honest. I just yeah. don't think any two players are exactly alike, and I, I'm not going to make, a, make an ass out of myself because I'm just going to be honest and – and, and, and plead the fifth on this one. I do not have a comp for I don't have a comp for a single player in this draft class. I didn't have one last year. I just It's just something I don't do. Oh, it makes total sense. Justin, you hit on all the positions a couple minutes ago, and, and you and Chris again just there. If you put yourself in John Robertson's seat and that pick comes to you in the first round, those positions that you mentioned, where do you think that the Titans need to go with that first position to really excel their game? Whew, that's a good question, a difficult question. Again, it, it really depends on, on who's on the board. You know, really, I think I've talked up Rashad Bateman a lot throughout this process. I'm a huge fan of what he brings to the table. I don't think I've identified a better scheme fit on film for the Titans offense than Rashad Bateman. You look at the way that they've built their offense over the last couple of years, and some of these guys are no longer in the picture, but what do they all have in common, right? A.J. Brown, big, tough, physical route runner unbelievable after the catch. Corey Davis, very underrated after the catch, as you all will know. We've seen some of those stiff arms he threw in his time in Tennessee. Again, excellent player after the catch. Derrick Henry, physical, athletic freak, unbelievable after initial contact, right? Jonu Smith, undersized guy maybe, but Again, what does he do after the catch? He's physical. He's tough to bring down. They line him up in the backfield. They did all kinds of things with John New Smith. The Titans have prioritized building their offense with big, fun, athletic guys who are great after the catch. Rashad Bateman, I don't think it's being talked about enough. I think his best asset as a prospect may be what he does after the catch. If you've watched him on film, He's, he's excellent with the ball in his hands. I think he would fit a quarterback like Ryan Tannehill, who, again, excels in the play-action passing game, loves to throw those shallow crossers, loves to throw those slant routes. That's where Rashad Bateman makes his money. So, for me, I love the fit there. I also think Tevin Jenkins would make a lot of sense at 22nd overall. He's a big old mean right tackle, uh, and he played right tackle in college, which is one thing I like. I know a lot of times people say, oh, you can flip them over from the left to the right, but I think ideally, if you can keep them at their position, look 
looks like you got a question. You know how many suicides we'll have in Nashville if the Titans draft another a tackle in the draft? Oh my gosh. And it, you know what? It's it, it's gonna be crazy. But and I wrote about this earlier this week, but you know what? Just because Isaiah Wilson left a bad taste in your mouth. I agree. Suck it up. They 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 need a right tackle. You know, if yep. they thought it was a need last year, it's gonna be a need. It's a need this year. And I'm not pounding the table for one at 22. Don't get me wrong. Right. And I think it's a really deep tackle class. So I think you can get one later. But I'm gonna talk more about Tevin Jenkins. But I think Brett may have a question. I was just gonna say, Justin. So do you think that that means that? They're not sold on Kendall Lamb being the day one guy over there, right tackle. Do you think it's an open position, or do you think they draft one to try and, and push Kendall a little bit? Where do you think they go from there with picking up Kendall in the offseason, but potentially drafting another tackle as well? I would like to think it's an open competition because if you're if you're overly confident in Kendall Lamb, I would question why. <laughs> you know, and he's either and if they are overly confident in him, he's either going to make the coaching staff look like geniuses and, and they're and brilliant. Or he's going to make him look really stupid because this is a guy who hasn't started a whole lot of football. He was, I know he was with Mike Rabel in Houston. He was a backup there, right? And he wasn't very good in Houston. If you re- revisit the film there in Houston, it was not good. It got better in Cleveland, but it was in spurts, right? He wasn't really a starter there in Cleveland. So if you have a ton of confidence in him, again, you know, they're paid to do a job that I'm not, you know, they know more than I do, but I, I really would not understand if they have a ton of confidence in Kendall Lamb. So back to Tevin Jenkins, but I don't think they need to grab a tackle at 22. Don't get me wrong. I'm not pounding the table for it. Tyson Braylo is also in the picture. They brought him back. I think even if they don't draft a tackle, Tyson Braylo probably gets to push Kendall Lamb uh, for the spot at right tackle. And, um, you know, Mike Vrabel said as much in his latest press conference. But when I look at Tevin Jenkins, he played right tackle. He's big. He's tough. He's mean. He's nasty. And I interviewed him. And again, Austin, you said we can cuss. So I'm interviewing him. And, and I ask him, what changed for you? in 2019 you know because he didn't play in 2020 what 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 how did you get better in 2019 and he's like well at the end of the 2018 season I sat down with my strength and conditioning coach Rob Glass and he said to me if you want to go to the NFL you better start road grading motherfuckers so I went out there in 2019 and that's exactly what I did probably my favorite quote that I've received this entire draft class because he just said it like it was nothing I I actually going to pull up the text messages real quick because I think I had my favorite exchange I ever had as I was editing the interview he, he said a, a ton of things where I'm like, there, there's no way I heard that correct. There's no way that that's what he said. Like at one point, I actually texted him. I said, uh, I just want to confirm this, man. Coach Rob Glass told you that you got to start road grading motherfuckers. And he also told you not to be a slap dick. Did I hear that <laughs> and, and he texted me back. He said, yep, that is absolutely correct. And I said to him, man, I don't know what a slap dick is, but I know that I don't want to be one. And, and, and he said to me, trust me, you definitely don't want to be a slap dick. It gets you in trouble real fast. No, that's, the, that's hilarious. That's, that's the kind of personality that Tevin Jenkins has. He's a fun guy. I think they're going to like him. He's a road grader. I think Derrick Henry would love to run behind a guy like that at right tackle. I think he'd make a lot of sense, uh, you know, pairing up on that right side with Nate Davis. So, again, I'm not banging the table for right tackle at 22 because I think they can get some – good players there elsewhere there are a lot of good tackles in round two or three that we can get into if you'd like but um but i think him rashad bateman those two guys right now they really stick out to me as good bang for your buck and jenkins won't be there 53 in your opinion right 
in my opinion, no. I mean, stranger things yeah. have happened. I remember last year, I think I went on a podcast and I told somebody that the tackle from Houston, Josh Jones, wouldn't yeah. be available there later. And he was, right? I mean, Titans didn't take him, but he went in round two or three, I think somewhere in the 60s. And that shocked me. Apparently he had an injury that nobody mm-hmm. knew about. But my point is, I can sit here and tell you Kevin Jenkins won't be there at 53. I don't think he will, but stranger things have happened. Sure. All right, uh, so us being, of course, Titans fans, huge Titans fans, but we're also major NFL fans as well, and I love talking about things across the league. I like talking about players and the scheme and the fits, they'll, you know, what's best at. I know the Steelers need a running back, um, and, you know, I know that this team needs a corner, and this team needs a quarterback. So I want to go back to the running back position because it's such a unique um, class. Not a whole lot of guys. Um at the top, that stick a few stick out in my mind. And tell me if I'm wrong, Melo. Um, you got ETN, you have Najee that, that kind of stick out, and then you have guys like Michael Carter. Um, and you go down the list like that. Talking about Travis and Najee, in your opinion, both are probably first round guys. What teams make the most sense for both Travis ETN and Najee Harris? Yeah, for me, I would love to see Najee Harris land in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, they obviously they obviously need a, a running back. They let James Conner walk today for for real cheap, right? What did that say about what they thought about James Conner? I mean, and it's tough out here for a running back. Less than two million dollars, I think James Conner got, and that blows me away. He won everybody's fantasy league for him two years ago. So, uh, but Najee Harris in Pittsburgh, I think, makes a lot of sense. We saw how they like to use James Conner. You know, they throw him the football a lot. I think Najee Harris is a really good pass catcher. He's a violent, physical runner. I feel like he just fits the culture right of what it means to be a Pittsburgh Steeler Uh, with Travis Etienne I think the Miami Dolphins would make a lot of sense there again I think that's another team that needs a running back they've got multiple picks in the first round I think that could make a lot of sense for them Etienne I remember last year just being shocked when he went back to school right I mean we, we all had a first round grade on him based on his 2019 campaign, he went back to school, but he's so exciting. I think he could really, uh, you know, take some of the pressure off Tua there with his ability to touch, to score the ball, uh, to score touchdowns every time he touches the ball. So if, if I had my choice, as much as, you know, as Titans fans, I think we all don't probably don't love the Pittsburgh Steelers. I would put Najee Harris in Pittsburgh and I would put ETN in Miami. While we're, while we're talking about running backs, what are your thoughts on Kenneth Gainwell? I really like Kenneth Gainwell, man. University of Memphis. I mean, something about Memphis, and I, I actually published my interview with him today. So you can go read that now on the Draft Network. But Kenneth Gainwell, what is it about Memphis, man? Tony Pollard, Antonio Gibson. I know I'm, who, who, who am I forgetting? There's, oh, Daryl Henderson. That's the other one that came out of Memphis. I, I love what they do there running. But the tape is so exciting on Kenneth Gainwell. I feel like, and I, I always say scout the player, don't scout the helmet. But I felt like I was watching Antonio Gibson all over again from last year. You know, just Memphis has a, it's, ha, it's something in the water down there when it comes to scouting running backs, when it comes to developing these exciting playmakers. They're always a little bit raw truthfully, when they get to the next level. And I think Kenneth Gainwell's a little bit raw, but the vision, the ability to make plays. I mean, you watch him in 2019 against Temple. That was just absolutely ridiculous what he did to Temple uh, in that year. And he did it both as a runner and a pass catcher. And he totaled more than 200 yards against Temple. You watch him against Penn State, a little bit stiffer competition. I thought he was pretty, still pretty good in that game. And the skill set still jumps off the screen, even though he wasn't quite as productive in that game because of the stiff test he was facing. I came away from that game saying, I want to throw the ball to this guy 100 times in the NFL because that's how excited I am about his skill set the potential is through the roof I will say I was a little surprised with the testing results they weren't quite as good as I expected them to be 
I know that caught a lot of people off guard. It caught me off guard, but I still think Kenneth Gainwell, if you can get him in that, I don't think he's going to go in that, you know, 50, 60 range, like some people think he may, but I think when you get to that, you know, 85th to hundredth range, that that's where I think he'll ultimately get selected, but damn it. He's so much fun to watch on tape. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think if he ends up in a wide zone scheme in the NFL, it's going to be lights out for him. I'd love to see him in that 49ers offense. Man, that would be – I like watching everybody in that Porter Niners. I just yeah, – I love Kyle Shanahan sure. as a head coach. But you're right. That is a really good fit. I think a place like that, you know, it's, it's probably – it's obviously, you know, it's not going to be Tennessee. It's not going to be Green Bay. But, you know, what, what about the New York Jets? You know, they got, they got baby LaFleur there uh, running the yeah. offense now too. So they, they're probably going to be transitioning to something of a wide zone scheme, and, and they could use it back. So the Jets, 49ers, those are two good fits right there. Speaking of teams that need schemes and, and teams that are really changing it up, going from the running backs to the quarterbacks in the drafts, do you really think that there's a chance we could see quarterbacks go one, two, and three back to back to back to start off the draft? Oh, I would, I would almost guarantee it. it. It has to happen, right? I mean, the real question there is if we see them go one through four, truthfully, because I wouldn't completely rule that out either. But one, I mean, there, I mean, we know. Look, we know the draft starts at three for me. We know Jags are going Trevor Lawrence. We know the Jets are going Zach Wilson. To me, both of those things, you can, you can write it in, in pen, right? You don't need to erase it. You can write it in pen, throw, throw the white out in the garbage. It, but number three is where number three is going to be a quarterback as well. San Fran trading what they traded. There's no way you can give up all that capital and not go for a quarterback. So it's really what, A, which quarterback is it going to be? at three, but it will be a quarterback, but which one is it? And then what does Atlanta do it for? Do they trade out? Do they stay there and pick a skilled player or do they, do they take a quarterback of the future? Cause I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, say it's impossible that Arthur Smith says, you know what? I got to get my guy right now. A guy like Trey Lance could fit very well there. I think too. Sorry, but sorry, Chris, but just teaming him up with a guy like a guy like uh, Arthur Smith, I think could be very well done. Honestly, Justin Fields too. I'll say this. Uh, Chris and I were talking about it before y'all came on here that the Falcons, um, you know, can quarterbacks go one, two, three, and four. And I was thinking, well, there's been so much talk about Kyle Pitts to the Falcons. Yeah, I, th- I think that happens. And then I went and looked. Dude, Matt Ryan's going to be 36 when the season starts. I think the Falcons would be really dumb not to take a quarterback uh, in a couple weeks. I think we. Sorry, go ahead. Go, no, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think we all know, obviously, how Arthur Smith runs his offense. And we don't know what the Falcons are going to do, obviously. But if you take an offense and you show me that you have Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts and Matt Ryan throwing them the ball under an Arthur Smith offense, that could be lethal, especially going 20-plus yards down the field. For sure. But think about two, three, four years from now when Matt Ryan's not there and they're back at, you know, square one again, who's their quarterback. I think, bit, yeah. Because next year's quarterback class is off. And not yeah. necessarily trying to connect dots here, but we do know that Arthur Smith was with this organization for a very long time. Good point. And we know he he know we know he has an affinity for the past of the organization and the roots that built it. And the comp I've seen for Trey Lance a lot is Steve McNair. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know that has to be kind of in Arthur Smith's mind because you know he appreciated what McNair did. Um, not trying to connect that dot. I don't think that's that's not going to sway him. But there there he could you know, have an affinity for that type of quarterback. So if, if Atlanta doesn't go Kyle Pitts there, do you think that Cincinnati just takes him next because he's the best guy available and to, to pair him up with a guy like T. Higgins and Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon? So to talk about Atlanta first, you know, I think you both make compelling arguments, but I, I kind of tend to agree with Austin. because Arthur Smith's not stupid. He knows that the outcome of this head coaching job and how he does in Atlanta is going to ultimately, you know, be decided – by who his next quarterback is. 
He may be able to have some short-term success with Matt Ryan. Absolutely. But the fate of his head coaching job in Atlanta will be decided based on how they transition away from Matt Ryan. Because you know it's going to happen at some point. And if they fail to replace him, then head coach is always the first one to get fired. And it may not be his fault. But if I'm at, if I'm if I'm him and I'm a head coach of a, of a new t- of a team here, and I got a 36 old quarterback and I'm picking fourth overall, and they're it's a good quarterback class. I have a hard time not coming away with a quarterback. I, I really do. So I think it make a lot of sense for them to go quarterback. Kyle Pitts is super tempting. He's the second player on my big board. He's the best tight end I've ever scouted, and I wouldn't totally fault them for it because you're right. I mean, imagine next year throwing a Kyle Pitts, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley in an Arthur Smith offense. I mean, they're going to be one of the best offenses in the league. It would, it would be yeah, by far. Tight. But it's like, you know, you got to make the mature decision, right, at the same time. Yeah. So for me, I think it has to be a quarterback, and I agree. I hope it's, you know, and it feels, no matter what San Fran does at three, even if they take one, you're guaranteed that one of Justin Fields or Trey Lance is going to be there at four. And I love both of them in an Arthur Smith run offense. So I don't mm-hmm. think you get too picky. I don't think you get greedy. And if you don't go QB, I'll say this. As much as I love Kyle Pitts, I don't know that I would stay there at four and take a tight end. If I'm not taking the quarterback, I think I'm trading down a little. And I'm just grabbing the best tackle or the best, whatever prospect I can get at eight, nine. You know, uh, Denver might want to move up. You know, New England might want to move up. Denver still picks in the top 10. You can move back in the top 10 and still get a hell of a prospect there. Bray, I want to – yeah, uh, real quick, Chris, because I want to see what Mello's thoughts are about this. Um, the Bengals, and mm-hmm. do you give Burrow Jamar Chase? Do you give him Kyle Pitts? you go Pina Sewell there? What are your thoughts on the Bengals? I think that, you know, and, and I've debated this back and forth. I'll be honest, but I started out this process saying they absolutely have to get Penny Sewell. They got to yeah. get Rayshon Slater. They've got to get a tackle to protect Burrow. He got his ass beat last season. They cannot let it happen again. You're going to ruin your franchise quarterback with that offensive line that you have. So I started off on that train saying, let's make the mature decision and go with the tackle. But the more that I've thought, the more that I think about it, you know what? This is a deep tackle class, and they got to pick in the early 30s. I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't think Kyle Pitts should even be, in, you know, really that much in the conversation there. And I may sound stupid saying that because, of course, he'd be worthy, but I think I'm pairing Joe Burrow with Jamar Chase. I'm trying to recapture that magic they, have at, they had at LSU. I hope it's what they do because then I'm coming back in the 30s and I'm grabbing Alex Leatherwood with that second, or I'm grabbing Dylan Raddins. Or I'm grabbing, you know, whoever's there, uh, Spencer Brown, who's a tackle prospect I'm extremely high on. I don't know that he goes as early as the 30s, but there is going to be a good tackle in the 30s. It might be Tevin Jenkins. It might be Christian Derrissaw, right? There's going to be so many guys that could potentially be there. I think I'm taking Jamar Chase at 25, at five, and then I might even move up a little bit, right? Maybe I trade back into the back end in the first round and grab one of those tackles. So that's what I hope they'll do. And that's actually what I, what I think they'll do. If Jamar Chase is there at five, I think they're taking him. Going back to the, uh, the quarterback conversation, uh, Justin, how do you rank, uh, based on your grading, how do you rank the quarterbacks in this draft? Yeah, I've got Trevor Lawrence one. I've got uh, Justin Fields two. I've got Trey Lance three. I got Zach Wilson four, and I got Matt Jones five. Now I know... That probably isn't the most popular uh, ranking out there. And I know NFL teams may see it differently, but for me, I mean, turning the tape on Justin Fields, I'll I'll be honest with you. I remember my first experience when I, when I really opened my book and started scouting him officially and started watching all the tape, all 22 and writing notes. 
blew me away. I wanted to go out and buy an Ohio State hoodie. I mean, I just, I love the guy so much. I don't get why he's not universally seen as the second best quarterback in this draft. I don't know what I'm missing, but for me, it's hands down. I have never wavered. He has been my QB two the entire time. I'm taking the risk on Trey Lance at QB three. He just, you know, Zach Wilson kind of came a little bit more out of nowhere. I think one thing that I think really works in Zach Wilson's favor, and I'll say this, I think he has benefited a little bit throughout this process from the trend that the NFL is going. And this league is a copycat league. It always has been. It always will be. Seeing the success that Kansas City has with Patrick Mahomes, what he does outside of structure, seeing the success that the, you know, Mahomes is, is a, I know is a rare beast, but to build on that, seeing the success that the Bills had with Josh Allen this past year and what he does out of structure, it has made that type of QB all the rage. And I had a conversation about this with an NFL agent uh, the other day. It's, it feels like we're starting to feel like everyone's getting a little short-sighted here. Like what? That's the only way that QBs can win nowadays. They have to be Pat. They have to be Josh Allen. They have to be Patrick Mahomes. There's no other way for them to win. That's just you know recency bias creeping into the process. But I like Zach Wilson. Don't get me wrong. I understand why people love him, and we and the pro day was terrific, and and yada yada. But for me, I'm rolling the dice on Trey Lance before I'm rolling it on on Zach Wilson. That's just my two cents. Just we hit on on the guys who protect guys like Justin Fields and, and Trey Lance and all that, the offensive lineman, you've mentioned it a couple of times. One guy that we haven't even mentioned tonight and nobody's really mentioning this year. And I think it's because he decided to go back to school after his junior year and he had some blood clot issues, still had a decent year last year, but that is Trey Smith, who I think that if he left after his junior year, easily would have been a first round pick. Obviously, like we said, the blood clot issues and last year was good, still not, but not quite like his unreal first three years he had at Tennessee. What do you see in Trey Smith and, and where could he possibly land on your big board and, and in the draft as well? What round and stuff like that? Yeah, I'll be honest with you because of everything that you just said, Trey Smith was a very difficult evaluation for me. I had a hard time putting my pulse on his, I had a hard time figuring out what I thought about Trey Smith in the beginning. There's just so many variables there. There are so many things that have unfortunately murkied those waters a little bit. Right. As I like to say, look, he used to play left tackle. I think he's a better fit at guard. He was a huge recruit, as you said. He had some excellent years. Uh, you go back, you got to go back to 2019 and put the tape on. I did that multiple times. I remember watching him against BYU. I thought he played well in that game. The only thing about him that I think hurts his stock is, again, the, the, unfortunately, I hate to use a guy's health against them, but certainly if you're, if, you're a, if you're a GM making a decision, you have to question and worry about his long-term health. Two other things that I don't love about his game is that I don't think he's position versatile I think he's definitely a guard I also don't think he's very scheme versatile like there's all these people that want to see him land in Tennessee I don't really love that fit I don't think he's a guy that can play in, in a zone scheme I just don't and, and I get you know again he's a local guy and, and people love it but I think he's a big old tough uh, road grader that does his best work in a phone booth I think he should probably get drafted by a team that wants to run the football a lot and sort of a, a, a power-based scheme so to speak. Uh, I don't think he really fits Tennessee when it comes to where he's drafted. Again, I mean, it depends on the health. I don't think he's going to go as early as some people think. If I had to guess two rounds, I'd say he goes between round three and four. Two years ago, nobody, nobody would have said that two years ago. Right. Yeah, no, you're not wrong, but unfortunately it's a long process and, and, and a lot of evaluators, they'll tell you this themselves. You know, people are like, well, you know, he was so good in 2018 
a lot of times these GMs, they're, they're throwing that out the window, man. They're not, you know, yeah. what have you done for oh, me yeah. lately? You know, what kind yeah. of prospect? I'm not drafting the 2018 guy, right? I'm drafting the guy that we saw in 2020. So it's unfortunate what's happened to him. I hope it works out for him. It looked like the Titans spent a lot of time with him at his pro day. But then again, of course, you know, it's a local thing. They're always at that pro day. They're going to spend time with all those guys. But I, I, I don't love the fit of Trey Smith in Tennessee. We are joined by Justin Mello from the Draft Network. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. All right, Justin, so I want to hear the fan, Titans fan, and you come out in this one, okay? Um, we all have our draft crushes. Mine's Elijah Moore. But, Justin, it doesn't matter what round it happens, but the one draft crush that you have in this draft that you want the Titans to absolutely draft, who is it and why? That's so tough because, again, I I've got multiples, um, and I can kind of go by round here. Some of the guys that I really like that I think we're not talking about – I mean, I don't want to start that off by saying we're not talking about enough because I do love Rashad Bateman. Again, I've talked about the fit in the scheme. I think that's a guy that makes a lot of sense. I really love Greg Newsom. Another corner I'm a big fan of I don't think is getting enough attention is Eric Stokes. And I've said this on every pod appearance I've made. I don't know why we're not talking more about Eric Stokes. To me, he checks pretty much every box as a, as a top cornerback prospect, someone that I think is going to get drafted earlier than people realize. Guys later on that I really love, I'm a big Dwayne Eskridge guy out of Western Michigan. I think the tape, just it, it just blew me away. It's so exciting. I'm going to just keep throwing names at you like rapid fire. I think he's got inside-outside versatility, by the way, in Eskridge. I really like that about his game. Amari Rogers is a guy that I'm incredibly yeah. high on. I love him. Uh, Peyton Turner, the edge out of Houston. I think is a guy whose ceiling really excites me. One tackle that we're not talking about enough, and I absolutely just, I mean, you know, I love Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa. I don't think we're talking enough okay. about Spencer Brown. I interviewed him a few weeks ago, and as I'm getting on the phone with him, I'm going through some prep work uh, with his representation, and this was all off the record, so they don't need to sell him to me. They've known me for years, and and just you know, just the things they said about him, knowing that it was off the record, they're like, first of all, uh, he signed to an agency that does terrific work with offensive line prospects. They are every they, same agency that has Sam Cosme, by the way. Every year, they they just they know what they're doing at offensive line, and they've got uh, Spencer Brown. They tell me when we're out here training this guy, I, I'm not shitting you. I think he's the biggest offensive tackle we've ever seen in person. They go, we're, we're, Joe, they got Joe Staley we're doing field work with them throughout the pre-draft process. We're, like, we're not kidding you. We're on the field. And if it's a sunny day, line up in front of Spencer Brown. You can't see the sun. He's six foot eight. Mm-hmm. He's the biggest tackle prospect we've ever seen. And I love the, that, the athletic measurements, man. Look up the, look up the testing. He got a perfect 10 out of 10 on his uh, re- uh, relative athletic score, right? The RAS mock draftable, yeah. just unbelievable player. I, if the Titans don't go tackle at 22, I'd be pounding the table for him in the third round. Well, one of those picks, I think he's an elite prospect, going to be an elite tackle at the NFL level. And I know that's a crazy word to use, but I really think he's going to be that good. Uh, Another guy that I really like is Tay Gowan. He's probably a guy that might go on day three. He's a corner out of UCF. What I really like about him, we talk about scheme fits. I think he fits this Titans defense. I think he fits it to a T. I interviewed him a couple weeks ago. Look at what the Titans have done at corner this offseason. They went out and got guys that that insinuates they want to play a lot of man coverage going forward, right? They want guys that can press out on the boundary. I know the Kevin Johnson signing wasn't popular, but he is a press guy. He's a physical long guy. Janoris Jenkins has been a press guy pretty much his whole career. Tay Gowan is a press corner. He told me, I want to live and die in press coverage. At the I don't want to play anything else. I want to be a press guy. I think Tay Gowan makes a lot of sense. I can keep going down this list, man. Uh, um, 
Cornell Powell is a receiver that I love out of Clemson. Yeah. Frank Darby is a receiver out of Arizona State. I don't think we're talking about enough. I really like him. He's savvy. Not the greatest athlete, but he knows how to get open. He's smart. He's also got I, – I feel bad I didn't mention him earlier. My favorite personality that I've come across this interview cycle, just a terrific human being, a guy that I, I told him he's got a fan for life in me. Um, uh, who else here? Jalen Moore out of Western Michigan's a day three tackle that I, that I think has some appeal. I can go on and on. There's a tight end, Noah Gray out of Duke that caught my attention quite a bit. Uh, Brendan James, an O-lineman out of Nebraska, is a very versatile guy. So this is a deep class, and I can't wait to see uh, them grab some of these guys on day three. I'm confident one of those guys I just named is going to be a tight end. Justin, I, uh, I mentioned earlier our conversation around Javante Moffitt last year. Uh, so I wouldn't be doing my alma mater justice if I didn't ask about uh, our best prospect this year, Robert Jones. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I like Robert Jones. You know, I think the, the biggest thing for Robert Jones is he went down to the senior bowl and he had a pretty good week. I think that was really important for him and his draft stock to prove that he could stick. What a big guy, you know, 6'4", 319, 33 inch arms, 79 inch wingspan. A uh, guy that I really like, you know, I interviewed him early on in this process. Of, I think it was right after the senior bowl, actually. Guy that came from Juco, you know, he knows the struggle. He knows what it takes to make it. He knows what hard work is all about. He played a lot of tackle at Middle Tennessee State, but I don't think he'll play there at the next level. I think he's a guard. He's going to have to kick inside. Everybody knows it. He knows it. Um, he, he's a road grader, man. I keep going back to that word with these guards, but he's a mauler. He's tough in the run game. I think he does his best work in a phone booth. I uh, can't wait to see him. But you know what? At the same time, when I say that, I'm about to contradict myself. I do think he moves a little bit better than he gets credit for. I don't think people realize he, he's not a bad mover. He, he's not Deontay Brown or Aaron Banks, you know, two guards in this class that I think, uh, you know, really you, you don't want getting on the move very much at all. I think Robert Jones could move a little. I think he definitely goes on day three, but I do think he gets drafted. Do you know Dave McGinnis, Justin? Are you familiar with Dave McGinnis? I, not personally, but of Just, course, yes. Yeah, Titans Titan radio, former. Yeah. You know, on Titans staff back in the day, right? Yeah. With I remember Fisher. he was the linebackers coach, I believe. Yeah. You remind me of Coach Mack, just the way you ramble off guys and, and whatnot. Now that like, we have Coach Mack down here, and he's on all the radio shows, all 1045 all the time, and has his own show with Rhett Bryan. We have read on a few times. Um, but just the way you ramble things off, man, it's amazing. Just the the memory you have and, you know, the your work ethic, dude. So I'm uh, I'm, I'm proud of you for all, you, all you're doing with the Draft Network. So keep that up. Um, all right, so before we get you off here, I have, a, you know, with you being from Canada, I got a fun little game with you. I have to mess with you. Um, so oh I'm going to pull up. Um, it's, it's, it's this or that. So you have to say, you know, which one you like the most, just a few that I got here. Um, and it's everything mean, you, you wouldn't, everything I'm going to name, you know, of, so this is nothing out of the blue. Um, so we'll get started. Um, favorite Raptor of all time, DeMar DeRozan or Kyle Lowry? Yeah, it's got to be Kyle Lowry. I mean, to me, that's an, I don't know how anybody can say DeMar DeRozan. I mean, they won the championship after they traded him away. So I love DeRozan. I feel terrible for him. But if you take the bias out of the picture from a pure evaluation standpoint, sure. they were not going to win with him. They traded him away. They won immediately. Of course, you know, getting Kawhi Leonard back had everything to do with that. But Absolutely. Kyle Lowry is the greatest Raptor of all time. All right. You, you uh, said there's no wrong answers, but the correct answer to that should have been Vince Carter. I was going to say that. If you were in here, if you were in here when Vince Carter left and how dirty he did the city, 
He quit in that final season in Toronto. We got shit on a stick in return for him in that trade. (laughs) Now, I've let bygones be bygones. I fell in love with basketball partially because of Vince Carter, and I don't hate him anymore like I used to, but there is no way in hell you can say Vince Carter over Kyle Lowry. Melo and I would have some heated battles on Twitter about the uh, Celtics and Raptors, so I'm excited. Hopefully we get that back. Well, probably not. I don't know if the Raptors make the playoffs this year. So yeah, I don't think that, I don't think we're we're, we're going to take a couple years off by the yeah. looks of it. But you guys, you got you got your ring. Are you so Justin? Are you are you a Jack Armstrong fan on the on the broadcast then? Jack Armstrong. I love that you just brought up that name. I did not expect that whatsoever. <laughs> Jack Armstrong. Let me tell you this. Jack Armstrong is not only a terrific broadcaster and a terrific basketball mind, but he's a terrific human being. Yeah. One thing I'll tell you about Jack Armstrong, and I, we didn't plan this. You didn't expect this to say, uh, my brother is a coworker of Jack Armstrong's. Wow. And my brother That's knows cool. Jack Armstrong personally and always tells me, that he's one of the best human beings he's ever come across. Jack Armstrong's a terrific person. Uh, I've met him once or twice. What you see is what you get. He's the greatest parent you could imagine. He's the best. Uh, he's so incredibly patient, so incredibly kind, so incredibly sweet, and a great basketball mind. And who could forget what he did with the University of Niagara? Terrific, uh, terrific job he did as the head coach back in the day. So I can't say enough good things about Jack Armstrong. I want to get that garbage out of here real quick. Get that garbage out of here. <laughs> I love it. Love I love Jack it. Armstrong, baby. All right. Favorite actor, Mike Myers or Jim Carrey? Ooh. Man, this might be the first one that I call a tie because when I'm, I'm thinking of Austin Powers, I'm thinking yeah. of Ace Ventura. I don't know how the hell I could pick between those two. You know, I think Jim Carrey's probably gone a little deeper in his bag and probably has a couple more hits unless I'm forgetting some Mike Myers things. But, I mean, Austin Powers, Ace Ventura, I mean, that, that's a tie. They're both... They're both 10 out of 10 upstanding Canadians. I'll give you that one. All right, so this one I think is, this is pretty easy, but I just want to hear your thoughts. And I, I changed it at the last minute. I probably shouldn't have, but um, I'll give you both anyway. Uh, favorite artist, Drake or Justin Bieber? Oh, it's got to be Drake, yeah. I mean, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a big hip-hop fan. I will say I think Bieber has done a good job kind of transitioning yeah. from that young, you know, 12-year-old pop star into a bit more of a mature sound and – I do like his latest stuff, but there's no way I'm picking him over Drake. Bieber's got some bangers, man. He's he got some vibes he throughout the years. So. But I couldn't listen so to him you... when he was, you know, when he first hit on the scene. I thought it was the worst thing ever. Yeah, for you know sure. I mean, and yeah. we share a first name, and he's from he's from Ontario. I can't remember. He's from a small ass town, a couple hours I think north of Toronto. But there, there, there's, I mean, there, there's no way that I'm going Bieber over Drake. Nah, of course. So not. is it? Yeah, so is it Bieber know. or the weekend then? I figured that was the follow up, and that's probably yeah, what Austin was, changed it, was from. it. I'm still going to lean Drake. You said Drake or The Weeknd, right? Bieber. Bieber or The Weeknd. Oh, Since I'm you going Drake, he's going to Bieber The Weeknd. Yeah, I'm going Weekend over Bieber for sure. But again, it's kind of a, per, you know, I mean, a, a personal taste question. I'm a big hip-hop fan. I like R&B better than I like pop for what I would categorize Justin Bieber as. So definitely. The, and, you know, I remember putting – and I'm going to pat myself on the back. I was putting my friends onto The Weeknd before anybody knew who he was. Like when that first mixtape came out, I'm sure you've all heard it now. When that first dropped here in Toronto, House of Balloons, like yep. in 2010 or whatever it was, I put all my friends on that. Like you got to listen to this guy. It's been so fun to watch him grow. You know, he's from a town called Scarborough that's about uh, maybe about an hour outside Toronto, small town. Not many people make it out of Scarborough. Not the greatest neighborhood. Uh, you know, a little bit of crime, a little bit of violence. Not a great place. So to see the weekend make it out of Scarborough and 
to watch his journey from a local star to performing at the Super Bowl. I mean, us as Canadians and especially from Toronto, we can't be more proud of the weekend, man. Yeah, the uh, the Toronto music scene has really uh, propelled Loaded. itself to the the front of the line uh, internationally. It's it's crazy to see you know those three names right up there at the top of of every list, pretty much. And I remember what it was like before those guys, like rappers that you may not even. I mean, you're probably familiar with Cardinal Official, I imagine. Of course, of course. he was like the first one out. He was like the first rapper from Toronto that I remember. And he had a little crew that he ran with. There was a guy named Socrates that was really good. Uh, there was a guy named Shaclair that had a couple big local hits out here. There was a group called the Rascals that had a bunch of local hits. Those guys, you know, and Drake will tell you this himself those guys kind of paved the way yeah. for drake because without Man, those guys without cardinal official there's no such thing as rap in toronto shania twain gotta give a shout out to hey, celine dion yeah. is up from canada too but Man, it's no, but the music it's true. Like to see what Drake has done and, and the doors that he's opened for everybody else is pretty crazy. Absolutely. All right. Uh favorite beer, Molson or Labat Blue? <laughs> you know, this is a, you know what's so funny about this is that Canadian beer is so well known um, you know, around the world. And we talk All about right. Canadian beer. I think Molson and Labat, everything that's classified as like mainstream Canadian, I think it's awful. But I'm a big, I am a pretty big beer drinker. Uh, I love craft beer though. Okay. And, you know, call me a hipster, whatever, yada, yada. The craft beer scene in Toronto has exploded lately and it's exceptional. So you wouldn't catch me dead drinking Budweiser or Molson <laughs> Canadian. When I can that's venture fair. over, I'm going to drop some names because I've been dropping names. All, and I, we can talk, look, look how versatile I am. We can talk music. We can talk craft beer. It is what it is. We can talk European <laughs> soccer. I when it. I could venture over to Blood Brothers, here in Toronto, I could venture over to Bellwoods. I could venture over to Merritt, and I could venture over to um, uh, Fairweather. Uh, all these places in Toronto have exploded lately, and the, and the beer is terrific. So Toronto's got a terrific craft beer scene. So he said, "Fuck both those uh, draft beers." Much what <laughs> I, I do not <laughs> like. You know what's beers. funny? I don't mean to sound biased, but every time I, I visit the states, and obviously I, I do so as frequently as I can, of course, yeah. as you know, Austin, um, I always hear about, oh, American craft beer, American craft beer. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> I have yet to go to an American city that's local beer impressed me that was better than Toronto. I mean, you got to come out to Toronto. You got to try the craft beer scene here. I am, you know, even buddies of mine who have been to California who are diehard beer guys, and they say that the California craft beer was amazing and and I've had everybody that's ever been there has told me they were disappointed compared to what we have right here. Blood Brothers, uh, okay. Bellwoods, Merritt, and Fairweather. Top four craft brewers in Toronto. I've always wanted to come to Toronto. So when I do, Melo, I'll, I'll hit you up and we'll go get some uh, craft beers together, dog. You know where to find me, man. I'll take you no. all over the city, man. And, and Real Sports Bar, man. That's another place. You ever come to Toronto? I don't know if you ever heard of Real Sports Bar, but no. it's, a, it's a, bit, a bit of a point of pride here in Toronto because a couple of years ago, ESPN, you know, again, being American, you got to factor this probably gonna be a little biased there they released a list of the best sports bars in all of north america and they put real sports number one on the entire list wow real sports bar is outside the air canada center where the leafs and raptors play it is directly like it's a stone's throw away it is owned by this the organization that owns the leafs and the raptors maple leaf sports entertainment the money that they have poured into that place it is unbelievable they got the biggest television screen in north america at any bar it's impossible to get a seat there. You got to go hours early. You got to call. You got to make a reservation. Good luck even doing that. But the food, the drink there, the atmosphere on any game day, 
it's crazy. And you can pack hundreds and hundreds of people there. People go there before the Leaf game, before the Raptors game. They pre-drink. They head over to the game. If you don't have tickets, you stay there, watch the game there. People come back after the game. They come back into the bar. It's just a terrific place. So if you come to Toronto, the craft beer scene, the real sports bar, those two things are a must. Hey, side note real quick. How live – so when you were – you've been to some Raptors games, I would assume. Oh, um, yeah, of course. How live is Jurassic Park? Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Dude. It's crazy. It's filled with a lot of young people, to be yeah. honest, especially for the Raptors games. There's a lot. It's a really young crowd there, sometimes even like teenager, uh, so to speak. But uh, it's it's live. It's crazy. Toronto's a, you know, I'm biased, but it is a wonderful city. Certainly one of the best in North America. And and, and that, that the, the fan base here is crazy, man. Whatever it is, Leafs, Raptors, the fans are crazy. It's amazing. Uh, and, and the stadium is in such a good part of the city. There's so much to do. You can have fun before. You can have fun after. I, I'll tell you a quick story. I had a bachelor party the night that the Raptors defeated uh, Milwaukee in game six to clinch uh, the, the, to, to go to the finals, right, to play against yeah. Golden State. So I remember we were planning what we were going to do with this bachelor party, and I was an usher. Uh, in the wedding party. So I, you know, I was kind of trying to make some plans and I know we didn't do anything crazy. We spent the whole day in Toronto and I had called real sports and it's fine. I tell this story. It's hilarious. It's impossible to get a seat at real sports. And I lied, especially for a playoff. I called them and I said, Hey, I got some people coming in from out of town. We're all from Toronto. You know, they're looking to do some heavy drinking because real sports is a place where you got to drop money. And sure. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's one of those places where you call, they can tell, they, they judge you on the phone. They're not going to give you a reservation. You better sound mature. You better sound sophisticated. You better sound like you're ready to spend some money. So I said, hey, I got people coming out of town for a bachelor party and they're looking for a place to do their drinking. Can you get us a table? Oh, no problem. We get you a table, blah, blah, blah. So we walked in there after a whole day of bachelor party festivities. We went into Real Sports Bar. We watched game six against Milwaukee. We watched the Raptors. We were, you know, hammered by that point. We watched the Raptors clinch the Eastern Conference title. I cannot tell you what the atmosphere was like in that place. And then just walk. We just spent the next few hours walking around the city, hugging strangers, high five. You know, Canada is super polite, it. even more polite when you're going to the NBA championship. So that was a crazy experience. It's, it's such a fun city. Brett. So was the city more live? I'm guessing definitely probably when the Raptors were moving on, but that Jose, that Jose Batista era from 2014 to 2016. Oh my God. I mean, I think one of the loudest arenas I've ever heard is when he hit that bomb against the Rangers and then just threw his bat. I don't even know if his bats landed yet when he flipped it like that, but that that had to, the city had to have been buzzing like crazy. I'm I'm so jealous because first of all, the bat flip is one of my favorite moments in sports for me, for myself personally. We just talked about that the other day. Yeah, we did, right? I mean, you yeah. and I were talking about that the other day, but when you talk yeah. about favorite moments in sports for me personally, the bat flip is very high on my list. I'm jealous because my brother and my cousin were at the game. These guys, they're diehard sports fans. My brother and my cousin, they're a little bit older. They, they, they've been to so many events. They've traveled the world to watch sports. And they told me that the energy in that building at that moment, they don't think they've ever seen anything like it ever in their career, you know, in their life, going to all these sporting events. That was crazy. I wish I was there for, unfortunately I was there for another game uh, that playoff year where we got blown out <laughs> like 15 to one. It was the worst game. I wish I had a refund on it. I paid a pretty penny for tickets and it was RA Dickey that just got killed uh, <laughs> in that game. It was, like, it was over by the third inning, but that moment was just crazy. I mean, that, 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 that's up there with the Kawhi Leonard shot against the 76. Yeah, yeah. That shot as well was just insanity watching it roll around the rim the way i exploded into cheers and, and tears 
two two great Toronto sports moments over the last couple of years. We haven't not, had a lot of them, but those two. Not not to mention too that that was already a hyped up game because that was the same season that Odor just let, let one up against against uh, Batista at second base in Texas. And then for him to do that in the playoffs, I, I bet that made it even better. I mean, they hated each other. I, I've hated Odor ever since. And that's just yeah. being Toronto <laughs> sports. I mean, how could I not be? How could I not, right? I've hated Odor. I hate the Texas Rangers. They're not in our division. But it just felt like a little rivalry, right? It was kind of born that day. And uh, we'll never forget it. That's for sure. I'm going to go rapid fire here. Um, favorite hockey player, Gretzky or Crosby? <laughs> you know what I, I was I was I was a little young during the Gretzky golden era I, so for sure I'll probably go Crosby because I'll never forget the golden goal I think it was against the states right in the gold yep. medal game at the yep. Olympics it wasn't a nice goal by any stretch of the imagination but we call that the golden goal over here it was a terrific moment so my favorite player is Austin Matthews and I know that it's still sure. early in his journey but the guy's like 10 goals ahead right now of second place in scoring I mean I just the season he's having he was having a full season i'd love to see what kind of totals he would hit but austin matthews is already my favorite hockey player i've never watched a, a leaf player uh, better than austin matthews i know we've had some good ones but that's how good of a talent he is but Sidney crosby over gretzky because that golden goal is one of my best sporting memories and yeah, matthews is a stud for sure stud. Just ridiculous. um all right last one tim Hortons? i hate that he's american not to cut you off i hate that he's <laughs> no, you're, we so wish he was it's the one thing if i could change about him I would make him Canadian because I hate that, you know. I mean, it's not a big deal at the end of the day because he's a Leaf, but it, it would be so much, you know what I mean? It would be cooler if he was Canadian. I would do anything to have an Austin Matthews on the Preds. So just count right. your oh blessings, my gosh. I mean, Count your blessings. Player. All right, last one for you. Tim Hortons or Starbucks? I know Starbucks <laughs> is more American, but, like, I mean, I'm sure you guys have Starbucks up there too. Yeah, I mean, I got Starbucks on every corner, right? Yeah. My, uh, every – you know, I'm going to go Tim Hortons, even though you know, it's, it's, it's a little more Canadian. It's a little more affordable as well. I don't know what the price differences are like out there, but I go to Tim Hortons. I can get something for a buck. You know, I need a dollar out here. Starbucks is always going to cost you at least five. So the price difference is monumentally different. Although I have heard that Tim Hortons, they're starting to change. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how the pandemic's going to impact their plans, but right before the pandemic hit, they started like changing a lot of the stores downtown they started making them upscale they introduced a bunch of new menu items like they got more expensive they got nicer so i feel like they're trying to change their image a little bit but i'll go with starbucks for now i love it i was surprised i figured you would go tim tim hortons on that one but um i added that in there just to just to uh oh i'm sorry something. did i say starbucks yeah I, I you said starbucks i meant, sorry, I meant oh, yeah. i'll go okay. with tim hortons. Right. i spent the whole time talking up tim hortons <laughs> yeah. and i accidentally said starbucks, no, no, starbucks. No. i go All with right. tim hortons again more affordable more canadian uh, a lot of fun i love it all right man well listen Melo. if i'm pretty sure the nfl will allow fans this year would that mean you will be attending a titans game We'll see. You know, again, yeah. being Canadian, it depends on, on, on how our vaccination rollout program sure. continues here. Yeah. You guys are kicking our ass in that department. We have, I know you guys probably don't pay that all that much attention to it, but we've really fumbled the ball on that front. So we'll see if I can get vaccinated A and B if the borders open, you know, because right now it's difficult to travel. So I would love, you know, I, I miss Nashville already, though. As you know, I, I pretty much come every year to Nashville. Yeah. So I miss it already. I'm hoping to get out there this year. And if we do, I'm, I'm expecting to uh, grab some beer with all three of you. Man, would love hey, that. Mello, I, I, Mello, yeah, you, Mello, you come down to Nashville and go to a Titans game, and then we'll come up there and go to a uh, Argo CFL game with you. <laughs> you want to laugh? You want to laugh? For all four of us, it'll be our first Argos game. I can imagine, dog. You know, you know what, man? I say this all the time. I feel terrible for them, but there's so much to do in Toronto 
that the Argos just can't compete, man. They just don't, they just don't get the attention out here. No, for lack of a better word, truthfully, nobody gives a shit. You go out to, again, we talked about real Canada earlier. Not, I think it was off the, we weren't recording yet, but you go up to Edmonton, you go up to Saskatchewan. That's where the CFL is king. You know what I mean? Cause that's all, all right. they have really from a sporting perspective out here. Unfortunately, the Argos just haven't worked. Nobody cares. I can go to a Leaf game. I go to a Raptor game. I go to a Jays game and go to an MLS game, right? With Toronto FC. So Argos are way down the pecking order in Toronto. Unfortunately, I'm going to be honest, Justin, I, uh, at one point, Logan Kilgore, who was MTSU's quarterback, was the quarterback for Toronto. And <laughs> I didn't even know I that. Tra- I was I was so excited. I was like, man, I'm going to watch an Argos game. I'm going to see how well he plays. I I had no idea what was going on. They were like running before the snap. Like, yes, it was weird. They get a running start before the snap. There's only three downs, which I'm not going to lie. I wouldn't change it, but it's semi-interesting because they pa- they have to pass the ball a ton mm-hmm. because of yeah. the three down rule. But I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I do watch it on, you know, if there's a late night, nothing on, I'll watch the Argos on television. I'm not totally opposed. I will root for them. I'll cheer for them to win the great cup, but I, I don't, I, I couldn't name you three players on the Argos right now. <laughs> I don't blame you. You're There's too much guy. to do in Toronto. Yeah, and you're too busy. You don't right. work, keep up the CFL, so I'm with you there. Um, Justin, man, I, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much for hopping on here with us and, and, and talking ball. Man, it, it, I, I remember when you came down here for the uh, the Colts game. The home opener. And, yeah, man, for the busting with the boys uh, tailgate. And God rest his soul, Matt Neely um, hooked that up, and, and we kind of got all of us there for a little bit and, and, and saw each other, man. It was so nice to meet you and your lovely lady. Um but uh, yeah, man, hope you, hope it was you come great meeting you that time. I'll never forget it, man. Cause that was, you know, Neely, unfortunately I passed just a couple weeks later and that, yeah. that hit me hard, but I got to hang out with you and I got to hang out with him um, uh, th- that morning. And I got yeah. to hang out with him the night before him and I went to dinner uh, the night before. And that's a story that I always tell him uh, myself and Nate Bain uh, who runs uh, Titan social. Three of us went to dinner the night before and, and me and Nate always tell that story to each other. Cause that was unfortunately the last time both of us saw Matt. And that was about two, three weeks before. So that was, that was yeah. difficult, but I thank God that I was able to come to Tennessee that time and, and have that experience with him. It almost is crazy to me that I was able to, you know, me, me and him had always talked about meeting. So uh, I was just so lucky that I came when I came and, and had dinner with him. And I, I tell so many stories about that night and it sounds cheesy, but it's, it's crazy reflecting back on it. And again, got to hang out with you the next morning yeah, and was so happy, of course, to meet you in person for the first time. So that trip will, for obvious reasons, will always, uh, you know, uh, hold a dear memory in my heart. Same here, brother. Man, yeah, he may be gone, man, but the boy lives forever. Uh, Absolutely. Love, There's love no love doubt that, about that. Love man. that man to death. But um, again, to wrap up, we are talking to Justin Mello with the Draft Network. Please, please, please follow him on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL. And please read everything that he has coming out, man. There's so many good interviews, so many good prospects that he's talking to and chatting with. Um, man, I'm just excited for you and all the stuff you got coming your way. And um um any any big prospects you're talking yeah man i'm saving some of the some of the best interviews for for week of so i got a couple in the bag i got a couple i'm working on that i won't drop any names in case it doesn't work out but i've got a couple in the bag already done that i'm that i'm waiting for i got uh you know boogie basham that's a big prospect that's dropping the week of i got eric stokes uh dropping the week of i got aziz ojulari dropping the week of the draft i got rashad bateman 
interview dropping the week of the draft. So I've got Rashad Weaver from Pittsburgh dropping tomorrow. I've dropped a couple of other already big first rounders over the last couple of weeks. You know, Christian Derrissaw, I dropped, I dropped Greg Newsom and, and, and really a, a ton of others. Uh, uh, Zavin Collins, again, Sam Cosby. I, I've been lucky to do what I think is going to be a bunch of first rounders this year and a bunch of high profile picks. So uh, I've been excited about it and uh, looking forward to it. And I've put the work in, so I'm excited to watch how this all unfolds over the next few weeks. I read them all and uh, cannot wait to continue to read the uh, the, the upcoming ones, man. But um, for Brett Batchelor, Chris Carter, Justin Mello, my name is Austin Nelson. You've been listening to the Second Victory Podcast. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and uh, rate five stars, leave a review, all that good stuff. We, we are brought by the Broadway Sports Media and uh, 440 Sports Network. As always, tighten up. Tighten up.